Hey there, 3CMA, and welcome back to 3CMA Comcast. I'm Tom Bryson with 3CMA, and today we've got a really important show for you. As government communicators, one of the most important things we can plan for is how to message in the event of an emergency. If we're doing it right, there's a crisis communications plan at the ready that hopefully we'll never need. But you never know, since crises tend to be unscheduled and most of the time completely unexpected. Such was the case in August of 2023 when a series of wildfires broke out in Hawaii, predominantly on the island of Maui. In historic Lahaina, the fires came upon the town so fast and moved so quickly that many motorists on the coast highway were forced to abandon their vehicles and seek refuge in the ocean. When the smoke cleared, thousands of structures, about 80% of Lahaina, had been either damaged or outright destroyed, and at least 99 lives had been lost, with at least six still missing. Total damage is estimated between 5 and $6 billion, and that toll is still climbing. State, federal, and local responders jumped into action, and our guest today was among them. She is a strategic communications consultant for Maui Rescue Mission and is here today to talk about messaging in the midst of an unimaginable tragedy. Please say aloha to Lauren Henry. Lauren, welcome to 3CMA Comcast. I trust it's a better-looking day in Maui today than it was a few months ago, yes? Aloha, Tom, yes. Yes, it is. We are we are on our way uh, to recovery. Very, very good. Now, for a, a, a touch of context, and just so our members can get to know you for 30 seconds, uh, I have to ask, how does a girl from Jersey who studied political science at Boston University wind up doing comms work for nonprofits on Maui? Great question. So I worked in politics for a little while out of college um, in New Jersey. Um, I worked for the governor. Um, I worked on some political campaigns at a digital agency, working with candidates running for office. Um, and then I sort of wanted to switch more into issue advocacy and, and focusing more on, um, you know, working with people that are experiencing homelessness. And so I did that for several years at a nonprofit in New York in-house okay. um, and a colleague of mine um, from that nonprofit was recruited to come lead the Maui Rescue Mission here on oh, wow. Maui. Um, and so I had started helping him remotely with communications and development work. Um, and my husband and I um, sort of felt kind of like there was an opportunity for us to, to come out here and help him grow the mission from the ground up and really be here and and help with with communications and fundraising on the ground. So um, that's how we, we ended up here about two years ago. That's awesome. That, that, that's a great story. And uh, Maui is about as far away as you can get from uh, the East Coast without uh, going to a different country, right? Yes, pretty much. And it's been um, definitely an adjustment. I, you know, lived in the city for several years and, you know, I love New York and I went to school in Boston and lived in D.C. And so I'm very much an East Coast city girl. And so it's been an adjustment to island rural life out here on Maui. Right, um, right. Yeah. Well, I'm sure everybody is glad you're there, particularly uh, with everything that's happened. So I wonder now if you can take us back to August 8th and kind of go through the genesis of the crisis. What was the first indicator that something was up, and uh, how quickly did Maui Rescue Mission get called out? So um, August 8th 
was a Tuesday. And um, the Monday before, we actually had noticed that there were high winds. We started to receive <clears throat> some weather uh, alerts about high winds. Um, this is not uncommon on, on the island. Um, right, right. The evening of Monday, the, the 7th, um, we started to hear about brush fires. Um, this is also not uncommon. Uh, we're in a drought here on Maui and we have been for a while and the summer especially is very dry. And so typically when that happens, you sort of just are paying attention to the local news. Um, some of the local Facebook groups that, that sort of report the police scanners and everything, you're sort of mm -hmm. just tuned in. Right. Um, and so, um, the day of August 8th, um, was similar. We were hearing more about these brush fires. It was very gradual, the news that started to come in, but um, truly didn't really understand the scope of it until the days following. Um, personally, um, I'm, you know, in South Maui. And so we had fires here as well. There were fires, three right. different wildfires all around the island um, that sort of gradually started um, to, to get out of hand. And the the reports were that, you know, firefighters were, were sort of following the different fires because there's obviously, um, you know, we only have a certain amount of first responders here on the island. And sure. So I mean, with three uh, wildfires. You yeah, know, I was about was to say, lot. so there, there there was more than one wildfire, although Lahaina was clearly the worst uh, of, of all of them. And in fact, there were there were wildfires on the island of Hawaii. Uh, and I understand there was one on Oahu as well uh, at some point. Yep. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, it, it was really, it was really wild to be in the middle of it because the the evening of August eighth, I woke up in the middle of the night to the smell of smoke, and to a text from my friend who lives down the street saying that they were they received an alert to evacuate and asking if we were okay, and wow. we hadn't received that alert, and right. they live on um, what we say Malka. Uh, of the highway. So Malka is mountainside and Makai is waterside. And that's okay. how you sort of directionally delineate. And so they lived Malka on the mountainside of the highway that, that sort of is right near us. So we sort of woke up and figured out, okay, it seems like they're evacuating everything, you know, mountainside of the highway. So mm -hmm. we're okay for now. Um, but, you know, stayed up all night, sort of got things together just in case. And so right. so like I said, there were fires sort of all all around and the threat continued for, you know, that, that entire week, really, um, all around the island. So as we were sort of beginning to mobilize to help, which started August 9th, first thing mm -hmm. in the morning, um, with Maui Rescue Mission and, and the team, um, as we were mobilizing and, and get, getting our supplies to be ready to bring them to where the need was, there were still fires that all around. Um, wow. And so we were continuing to stay tuned in because some of the evacuation centers ended up having to be evacuated uh, because the fires kept moving. Um, so it was really just a lot of um, uh, just trying to stay attentive to where the threat was sure. for an elongated period of time. Well, when it comes to crisis communications, most all of us in government, uh, and I'm assuming in nonprofits as well, uh, we have plans to a certain degree. Um, some of us do drills and maybe prepare templates for various foreseeable emergencies. But although wildfires may be foreseeable in Hawaii, this one was different because of the size and scope of it. That's This one made it really clearly unprecedented. So 
How hard was it to communicate, to message in that kind of environment when the plan literally goes out the window and you have to adapt to changing circumstances? Yeah, um, certainly. It, it's, um, you know, really feeling like you're flying by the seat of your pants. Right. But the reality is, and, and we kept seeing this, um, is that it, it's just communication is just so important and transparency is so important. And so we, um, you know, as we were springing into action, um, just wanted to let our, you know, nonprofit followers know what, what was happening, what right. we did know, what we didn't know, um, what we could speak to, what we couldn't speak to, which partners we were working with on the ground and who we hadn't heard from yet, um, where we were allowed to go, where was still, you know, there was still sort of search and rescue happening. Right. Um, and fire mitigation, like still, still ongoing. So, um, really, you know, what, what we, what we sort of found was, um, to just, to just get out there and, and be very clear. Um, right. and it really collaboration too is a key because, um, that, that's very, that's very common here in the community in Hawaii is a collaborative spirit, uh, an aloha spirit. Right. Um, but, it, it's really critical in times like this when um, certain people are getting certain information, sure. um, really prioritizing those information sharing, um, asking the right questions to the right partners, um, you know, not being not being afraid of of speaking publicly um, when you don't exactly know what's happening, because, you know, if you have some information that you can share um, that that, you know, um, it, you know, it could be really, it could be really critical and, and really, you know, it, it could be life-saving. And so. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you, you yeah. always want to update to the best of your ability, but you also need to, uh, not be afraid to say, I don't know when you don't know, uh, yeah. because yeah. there's always updates to come and you have to be flexible in, in, in making that happen. Now I saw you do a live hit on CNN on the morning show, um, I guess it was that week and what had to have been the middle of the night in Hawaii. So <clears throat> how did that process work? How did CNN contact you? And um, what was that like? So um, working in, in comms and, and public relations, I have, um, you know, contacts that, that I was thinking about reaching out to because the reality is here we're so remote um, on the island. And um, so I, I knew that as you know, the, the local government and local nonprofits were still trying to get information. Um, it was becoming clear how bad this really was. Right, and right. one of my first thoughts was that the mainland has no idea uh, what's happening. And um, we need to get that, get that cleared up, get that information to, um, you know, to the national sources as soon as possible. And so I started reaching out to um, some friends that I know on the mainland that, that have worked for, um, you know, organizations like CBS News and CNN before. And I said, hey, listen, um, the, you know, these fires on Maui are devastating. This is this is a really big deal. I'm here on the ground with a nonprofit. If your team needs anyone to talk to, like, mm -hmm. let me know. And right. um, and so that's how I started having having sort of conversations with some of the producers. And they reached out to me over email and um, and so I was I was able to they, they bumped me several times, but then eventually um, I was able to to sort of speak with someone on the phone and let them know the gravity. Uh, the entire you know west side of the island was cut off, and 
um, we were still waiting to be able to to go in and help people. Um, just the numbers that we were seeing of of the missing, um, and um, and so so then you know that they were able to book me, and um, I did. I had to wake up at three a.m. Um, my I I've been saying my husband actually donated all of our coffee in our house to one of the shel- one of the makeshift shelters the night before. Wow. And so I had to wake up at 3 a.m. with no coffee. So it was a miracle that I was able to communicate uh, on that, you know, in that interview. So um, that's well, kind of my, like, it came, came off. Story. <laughs> it came off very professionally, very well done. So coordination with local government uh, in in any kind of emergency situation is a big part of any kind of emergency response. Um, knowing that there's always room for improvement. There's always ways that that kind of coordination can be done uh, better and not to judge or grade uh, the county's level of cooperation with third party responders in this case. But I wonder if you can tell us what, if any takeaways you might have from uh, coordination with the county or, or, or any other local entity. One of the, the key takeaways I would say from that week is we felt like we didn't have some of the the critical information um, as quickly as we needed it. Okay. And of course, you know, the the first responders are still in the middle of things, you know, and and like I said, the fires were ongoing for that whole week. Um, right. Right. But there were the first couple days, um, you know, we hadn't really heard from the county. Um, on on how we could step in on on what the the next step would be um, on what the next hours were looking like and so um, recalling back the first times that I started seeing sort of updates from from the county Facebook Facebook is a really big tool that everybody uses here on the island mm-hmm. and um, so they started their Facebook updates I want to say the day after um, okay. August 9th okay um, and that was really when people were starting to understand the gravity of, of right. what had happened. So it, it really took a while for people to understand what was happening. But from the county, we you know we got we would start getting updates on Facebook on August 9th. But um, the the public sort of broadcasts that they started doing daily, um, mm-hmm. three times a day on the radio, um, that that started on a Friday. So the fire started on a Tuesday and those public broadcasts started on a Friday. So I would have loved to see that happen quicker. Um, I wonder, has there been helpful? Sure. Has there been any kind of opportunity for an after action debrief uh, with those folks or or is it too soon for after action? I mean, I know recovery is still ongoing, right? Yeah, that's that's a great question. my my hope and my expectation is that there there absolutely will be with regards to you know nonprofits and third parties and, and right. um, all of the the sort of community members that we were working with on a daily basis. Um, but as you say, you know we're sort of still in the process. I mean they're they're still sort of clearing through the rubble, sure. and it will be for a while. And so um, you know my my hope is that that we'll be able to to sort of talk through some of these things. Um, because once those broadcasts started, they were incredibly helpful. And um, for a lot of rural areas here, you know, that th- it was really like a lifeline because, um, you know, to have access to that, that sort of radio broadcast to say, okay, what's going on? You know, 
where are the threats? What's the percentage of containment? Um, you know, what what can we expect in the coming hours? So, um, yeah, that that would be that would be my hope. Um, and, um, and yeah, because because like I said, you know, it's it's so critical what what we do as communicators um, when when these crises arise. You know, it's um, it's really it's really important and can be uh, you know a lifeline for people. So what, in retrospect, uh, as far as your initial involvement, I'm sure the rescue mission is still involved on an ongoing basis, but as far as uh, the initial during the uh, event itself, if, if you will, mm-hmm. what was the most challenging aspect of communicating in a crisis, in this crisis? Well, the fact that the fires kept moving. And okay. so um, safe zones kept changing. So you would make a plan to go to our storage unit and pick up, uh, you know, hygiene items to bring to one of the makeshift shelters to supply them before the people started coming through on the west side. Um, but as we're on our way there, um, as we're on our way to, you know, pick those up, the, you know, we're, we're passing by fires. Um, and so we didn't know, you know, where we could really be the most help. Um, until the fires were were contained, so I, I recall in the first couple days there was so much uh, desire to help and make a change from our nonprofit, from different community members, churches, private businesses, um, but there wasn't a lot of understanding of of how we could help because we weren't firefighters, we weren't directly you know, addressing the threat that was continuing and growing. Um, and so it was a lot of, uh, I would say what, what was really challenging is we had to um, try to plan for, for something that we were, you know, for, for when the fires would be contained and we right. could sort of come in where the need was uh, while we're in the middle of, you know, the threat all around us, we had to sort of think about, okay, when this ends, what, you know, where can we go? What do we need to bring? Um, who do we need to contact? Um, and so that that's hard to do when you're, you know, smelling smoke and having a hard yeah. time, you know, orienting. And the circum- circumstances are constantly changing. Yeah. So uh, in that time, whether it be uh, a, a specific interaction or a specific event within the event, do you have uh, a, a memorable uh a memorable story that stands out to you as something you'll always uh, you always take away from this. Um, oh well, I mean, the the entire you know the entire week was really um, it was a blur, and I've I've taken to um, to documenting things like photos and audio and video. Um, I find that that's really helpful in a crisis for me personally. Sure. Um, because while in the immediate aftermath, it might be too difficult to go back and relive it um, in the months following, um, I can find it really helpful to orient myself and remember, recall timelines That's and, and events. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I think I would just say that the way that the churches and the private businesses really sprung into action was uh, was so inspiring and and um, really it was it was moving um, to see that the day you know the day after the fires when we were still not sure the scope of things we had you know churches and 
um, nonprofits like Maui Rescue Mission and private businesses working together to charter boats and flights over to the west side um, when, you know, the emergency responders were sort of barricading the the roads because as i said the fires were still ongoing boats so were the we best way to drive get in, over right? there yep yeah. boats were at boats and and um and you know charter flights were the only way to get in um and so so without you know without any anyone asking or um you know or anyone giving them permission frankly it just started happening you know and that's a that's a really beautiful community um aloha spirit that that I, i've really uh, come to appreciate about Maui and, and about Hawaii. Um, the remoteness of this island really, uh, I think, lends itself to that kind of community spirit because right. there's sort of a sense that we're kind of on our own out here um, in a lot of different ways. And sure. so um, there's also a really beautiful and deep connection to the land that, of course, you know, comes from the Native Hawaiian culture. Um, and so this this respect and this understanding of the land, the aina, um, really, I think, is very educational in times like this, sure. um, and can really help guide people. You know, how, how do we, how do we sort of interact with this this natural disaster? How do we uh, respond in the immediate? You know, and and coming up with you know ways to get boats over there, and knowing the harbors, and knowing you know where where we can enter, and where you know where the threat still is, and um, you know so all, all of that, all of that sort of community um, community spirit was was really what what made what made the difference, and what got people help very quickly. That's awesome. That's awesome. So last last question: uh, the fires were under control in a week or so, right? But the impact yes. of Maui is obviously going to last for decades. Um, what uh, what advice would you offer for communicators that they should know about working in an unprecedented crisis situation with rapidly changing conditions? Um, one thing that I came to value so much is working with the press um, to gather information and to know to figure out what they know. And right. what they've heard, and from who, and to information share. Um, I think that's that's just critically important. I sure. think it's undervalued um, in in you know in this world and and you know the communications world. And so um, that would be that would be one thing that I would advise is um, to really build those relationships and um, to like you said, not be afraid to say I don't know. You know what have you heard? What are you hearing? Here's what I know. Um, mm -hmm. How can we, you know, how can we work together to, um, you know, to share to share the truth and to save save lives um, right. and to bring information to people that are in crisis and and don't know uh, what to expect, what comes next, don't know who's, you know, in charge, who's who's helping. Um, and so that that's one thing I would recommend is really working with the journalists. Uh, Where working journalist. with the press doesn't have to be adversarial. It can certainly be cooperative, especially Absolutely. in that kind of scenario, right? Absolutely. Yep. That's awesome. Well, Lauren Henry, mahalo, my friend. Uh, thank you for the, for the very good work. We could go on for hours, but I'm afraid yes. we're going to have to leave it here right now. Uh, there are, uh, of course, many ways that people can uh, help recovery in Maui, but if anyone wanted to find out more specifically about Maui Rescue Mission, what, what could they do? MauiRescueMission.org. 
We've got lots of information on our website, or you can follow us on Instagram for live updates and stories, maui.rescue.mission. Very, very good. Well, again, thank you for the very good work and, and for sharing the story with our members at 3CMA. I know they're all going to find it very valuable. And please convey uh, our best wishes to uh, your colleagues and everyone there on the island. Thank you so much, Tom. Thanks for, for taking the time to speak with me. Mahalo nui loa and aloha. Aloha. Thank you. And that will do it for this edition of 3CMA Comcast. For Lauren Henry and everyone at 3CMA, I'm Tom Bryson. Thanks very much for watching. We'll see you next time. Oh,